0: This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. See the side art, feel the controls, and hear the cure on the stereo. But are you sad because you don't know where to find that retro experience in the Chicago area? Hey, boys don't cry. They go to the Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. Carrington Vanston. And I'm Mike McGinnis. And this is No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Hello, Mike. Hello, Carrington. How is your Halloween? My Halloween so far has been fantastic. I went to a Halloween party last night, dressed up as a pirate. Uh, and it
1: was super fun. So this is like a week long celebration in Canada or something.
0: It is. We embrace Satan. <laughs> and it's getting cold. Anything to do with heat, we'll just like give up.
1: I was in Sears yesterday, I think, and they already have their Christmas displays up. And I thought these have got to be like Halloween trees or something because we haven't had Halloween yet. So do you have Halloween trees? I, we must because why? Why else would the stuff be out now? Yeah, I
0: saw it in lots of lots of places as well. I was in a mall a week and a half ago, and they were. Playing Christmas music and had a big tree up. There was no Santa yet. That's where Santa will be, but that's crazy. I'm Like, come on! And the thing is, it wasn't even for this Christmas. It was for next Christmas. They're actually a year and a bit early. <laughs> I could tell.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, we've been every year we complain about the commercialism and then and Christmas and stuff like that. And yeah, I, I remember my parents complaining about it back in like the seventies and eighties. So I don't know if it's actually gotten actually that much I more. complain about the non-commercial parts of Christmas. I'm sick of all the love your family business. It should we all be about the You gifts? just want to like gifts and money and buying and stuff. Absolutely. Gotcha. All Let's right. Let's get
0: back to the real
1: meaning of a commercial Christmas,
0: <laughs> the way I remember it as a child, full uh, of yes. gifts. All gifts for me. We should get back to that. Christmas should be all gifts for me. It was such a good time. <laughs> <laughs> and I see why people would want to start celebrating that early. It's, it's a year-round thing. So, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. And going to a Halloween party last night was, was super fun. And super fun to have everybody all dressed up in funny costumes and things. I love it. I love Halloween. Love it, love it, love it. And it fits with our game this week because
1: it's like a spooky game. I don't think we fooled anyone by by picking a a theme. Well, we had talked about, I don't know, a month or two ago, talked about doing Halloween-themed games all of October and then (laughs) promptly didn't do that for the first two weeks. No, but people can
0: just listen to this episode four weeks in a row, and it would be like a month of Halloween episodes. (laughs) Mostly because uh, I think we've already established so far people will know that Mike's not a big fan of this game. We'll see if I like it any better. This game is hard, man. But before we get to the game, we've got we've got feedback. We've got some news. We got lots of things. Give us some feedback, Carrington. Feedback. Okay, let's do feedback first. We got oh we got a good one from Flack regarding games you can play one-handed. He had a really neat idea. He wrote on Facebook uh his random thought here. The Commodore sixty four version ugh, of Elite <laughs> came with a lipstick controller that was voice activated and served as a second button. There was no real voice recognition built into the thing. Pretty much any loud noise worked. I'm wondering if this could be used in conjunction with a DB9 to USB adapter to turn it into a fire button that could be mapped to a single button, like uh, button one in main. So he says he'll do some testing. Uh, He'll have to dig his out. And then in a follow-up, he said, oh, he found it in in the uh, garage. So he's going to try it because his idea was, so if you could... You could map that and then use it in MAME, then it would let you play pretty much any one button MAME game without using a button. Now you can just, you know, use the joystick and speak. And he says you can you can yell things like jump or fire or oh Jesus <laughs> <laughs> and all the things he would be while playing. I love that idea. But cool. you know, that's really thinking out of the box. I like that idea. Like if we've been trying to come up with the how do you play one handed things and yeah, using an alternative controller, using a voice controller or something, that's a fantastic idea. But the, the lipstick, that's a terrible name. Terrible. You Commodore 64 people. What's wrong with you? (laughs) (laughs) So we also had a really cool link from Classy Freddie Blassie, friend of the show, as we would say. He uploaded a YouTube video. I don't know if you've seen it yet. He was at the Dixon, California pinball event and somebody was displaying or I think actually selling rare production artwork for Congo Bongo. So while well, I liked the game a lot more than you did, this stuff was really cool to look at. So he's holding, like, basically his camera's running and he's picking up and he's holding up all the pieces. So a qu- quick video scan of all the bits. And so it's got, it's got artwork like sort of sketching out in a cartoony way what the idea of the levels will be. And and while it's not like the levels, you can see where the thinking was going. And then it's got a whole bunch of things all in the pre-production ideas. It's like a binder full of pre-production ideas and artwork and and Neat. yeah, it's really really cool. So. Even if you're not particularly into Congo Bongo, although I was, I find that kind of stuff interesting. Like when you you already know the final game, but being able to look back at the original ideas and the notes and see how somebody starts to sketch out a game development. So oh, absolutely, I'm really yeah. glad he posted that. Yeah, it was really cool.
1: Even if I don't like a game, I, that doesn't mean that I don't want to find out the history and the design, the thoughts that went into making such a disastrous game and that sort of thing. So <laughs> Oh, and uh Classy Blassy, thank you for banning me from my own show. I appreciate that. <laughs> about time somebody started turning that banner on that's you. That's right, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, Lim Tai-Chin wrote in, and he's actually asking for information. He's looking for an old retro game video podcast that he has forgotten the name of. The clues are, one, that it has H- an HD version, and two, that there is a CNET editor in it, and three, one of the episodes talked about adult video games. Does this ring a bell for anyone? Well, not for me. Not for me either. The only CNET people I know... That were
0: doing podcasts and still do them. You got like Veronica Belmont and uh, Tom. Tom Merritt. Tom Tom Merritt, yes. And Molly Ringwald. (laughs) Molly something.
1: It's the new Twit crew now.
0: Yeah. But like I know Tom and Molly do their. It's not really game related, but they've discussed games on their Sword and Laser podcast, Mm -hmm. which is quite a good podcast. and, And they do a video version of that. So I'm wondering if maybe if it was just the one episode, it might. So that's one idea of guys who have discussed sci-fi and game related things on a podcast but it's not really a game podcast so i don't know that's all that came to mind for me maybe one of our listeners knows you can write in or or post on the facebook link so mike whalen remember him he was our first co-host ever I thought we banned him a long time ago. Oh, sure. Well, he's gone, but he's back. But then he's gone, then he's back. So, anyway, he wrote in about Popeye. Oh, Popeye. Everybody seems like Popeye but me. He writes, and this is, I'll paraphrase (laughs) it a bit because it's a bit long, but it's good. This is a good story he wrote on Facebook. So, hey guys, I normally don't write in because, well, (laughs) what am I going to say, right? But I actually have a bit to say about Popeye. You see, I grew up in New Orleans. Is that how it's pronounced? New Orleans? Nolans? Sure, whatever. Nolans? Sure. And uh, Popeye was a major part of my childhood. How, you ask? You know what, Mike? I do ask how. here we go how Hmm. well a local entrepreneur l copeland started a fried chicken franchise called popeyes now the chain was actually named after the popeye doyle character in french connection that i did not know mike sorry, that's cool yeah i always assumed it was popeyes and we'll see how it the 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 other popeye comes into it in a second so yeah that was a bit of i never would have known that Um, Anyway, it says, however, when I was a wee babe in arms, 1970, McDonald's and uh, later Burger King started to heavily use characters in their marketing to children. Uh, Most of us kids in Nolens figured that Popeyes was named after the cartoon characters. Why fight that? So Copeland got a licensing deal with King Features, and Popeye the cartoon character appeared in the television ads, on giveaway drinking glasses, and cartoons on crates, etc. The campaign, I suppose, drove the cartoons to show up in a lot of places. The original cartoons were always available on the local syndicated television channels, and on Saturday mornings, local station WWL presented a show called Popeye and Pals, of course sponsored by Popeye chicken, mm-hmm. the station would bring kids in for the local schools, pump them full of Popeyes, and watch Popeye cartoons. I think we all even liked the Popeye movie starring Robin Williams. I'll pause there for a second. You know, I actually like that movie, too. I'm not a fan of the cartoon, but I actually like the movie. <laughs> and I don't think a lot of us do.
1: So. I enjoyed that movie. Yeah, it didn't do well, as I recall. I oh, I, I could never Crazy
0: bomb, why. yeah. Uh, so anyway, Mike concludes, so the appearance of the arcade game was a big deal. I don't remember how I heard of it. I don't know if I became aware of it at some other place or saw it at the arcade. I do remember playing it at Chuck E. Cheese at some point. And like you guys, I remember specifically being amazed at the character animations. They were dead on perfect. Regarding Carrington's thought that the backgrounds were sparse in contrast to the characters, it would not surprise me at all if King Features worked very hard at making sure Nintendo made accurate representations on screen, backgrounds were damned. I don't think it was particularly good at the game, but I chalked that up to pretty much being terrible at arcade games in general. <laughs> Just, like amaz- <laughs> Just like I Just like said. That's why he was on the show. Only people terrible at arcade games can <laughs> be on this show it astonishes me that the arcade cabinets are so cheap but popeye really is far gone these days i remember popeye but i don't think it's a current character today's kids would probably wonder if that's a tumor on his face
1: oh <laughs> nice, <boy>. like, nice.
0: <laughs> so but i i thought that was interesting because i didn't well first of all i didn't know about the popeye's chicken chain thing i always assumed it was the popeye from the cartoons but it's the same sort of thing that we had where or at least that i had where i was very aware of popeye and at the the game had that immediate recognition. Like when I saw back in the day, the, the Popeye video game, I immediately knew who that character was. So I think that's what Nintendo was hoping for. But I never really had that strong association or love for the actual character. So it didn't you know, motivate me to spend more more money on the, the arcade at the time. I think, I don't know, I can't think of actually a a video game, classic or otherwise really, that used... A character I already knew. Like when we talked about like the Buck Rogers cabinet before, just because I know the character, if I'm not already like a super fan or something, I don't think it's going to motivate me to spend any more money on it. So I don't know if that's ever really a good thing for, I think companies spend a lot of money to license these characters to stick them into to games, but I wonder if that actually pays off.
1: Well, and the weird thing is Sega didn't even use Buck Rogers in the game. He was, was just the name on the side of the cabinet. yeah. And it was a bad game. It was not a good game. We had good feedback on Facebook from Vintage Volts. Also
0: about Popeye, but really touching on that whole associating games with certain places things. He says, I like the little narrative in the Popeye show where you two discussed how certain video games remind you of certain places. My parents were regular league bowlers. So once a week, my brother and I always had a couple of hours on Friday evenings to spend at the bowling alley trying to stay out of trouble. My early days of playing arcade games started with the bowling alley, and not much of a true arcade, as many others are familiar with. The bowling alley we went to always had three pinball machines to play in the snack bar area. I was exposed to them first for several years in the late 70s, but one day, we walked into the bowling alley and hear this strange electronic sound. Thinking they had installed a new pinball machine, we ran quickly to the snack bar area, only to halt ourselves 30 feet sooner and stare at this overcrowded, strange-looking, vertical cabinet now i'd seen video games before in arcades but this one seemed different in a way trying to position my four foot seven at the time stature around the uh the crowd of people to get a better view of the screen i remember looking with wonder at the floating ranks of aliens being attacked by a moving base controlled by the player It was Space Invaders. What made it memorable at the time was that it was the first video game that the bowling alley ever put into play. So since then, they would always have three pinball machines and at least one video game. In the coming years, they've always had a modern hit game to play. Among those were games which I first saw there and not in an arcade. There was also Atari Football, the mushroom-shaped two-player trackball game. I like that game. Frogger, Asteroids, Centipede, Pac-Man, Ms. Pac-Man, and Donkey Kong. So it's amazing just like him, I too have many associations where these iconic games were ones where I saw first not in an arcade, but in some other location. So right. he says basically any of those games listed above would be games that remind me of the bowling alley and come to think of it, certain songs they used to have on the jukebox do the same thing. I have that same strong association all the time. There'll be certain, certain music I associate with certain games. Uh, a lot of times it's computer games. I talked once in, in one Megahertz, I think, that I was super into Load Runner the Apple II version, and at the time when I first started playing that, I was also I'd picked up Wall of Voodoo's biggest album the uh, call of the west album and so i just had it on repeat and so i <laughs> when i hear call of call of the west there's load runner images just you come know, up urge on my, to play and if i play load runner i i can hear the call of the west songs <laughs> like suddenly i'm listening to mexican radio like the two are so strongly associated so i do this and i'll do the same thing with certain video games like i'll remember where i played them so like when i see the game like sinistar i don't think of arcade places i think of the place that i would play it that was uh, near the the high school that I went to just for a few weeks before I got kicked out of my first high school. Oh, oh, the life I've led. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I have the same thing as him where I have that strong association with place when it comes to certain video games. And, and I think because playing games like this it's such a, a visceral thing because it's the sounds, it's the motion, you're really into the game. Like When you're playing an arcade game, especially back in the day, and you, you there's money on the line, as a kid, you're, you're really into it. And so I think it can forge strong location associations that way, in a way that maybe just a modern casual game on my Wii or something is not going to.
1: Do you have that same experience, Mike? I do. And, and the, the best experiences like that, I guess if you want to call it that, that I have are the ones that like with Popeye where I had forgotten mm, and yeah. then and then I'll hear something and the memories all come rushing back to me you know like oh my god I completely forgot about what a great time I had playing this game or or you know when I see a gauntlet machine I'm always taken back to the bowling alley where that gauntlet machine replaced the Popeye that I'd played before that
0: it's fun. I mean, that's one of the nice things about arcade games is is playing them can forge those memories. I also have, will have memories of going to arcades with friends and playing certain games cooperatively or competitively. Or for instance, one of my strongest Galaga memories now is playing it with you <laughs> in Kansas City and the, and the you know the competition to try to fight, fight the Galaga. I'd like I mean, so, weird, but then that becomes part screen. of the experience and the and that crazy kill screen out of nowhere. But you know that kind of thing just. I don't know. It makes such a strong memory. It's one of the things I like best about playing arcade games is like how much more you get into it and how much more you can take away from it.
1: So did we have other newses? We had a an email from Peter. I'm sorry, Peter. I'm going to screw up your last name here. Kaz- Smith. Kazuyak. It's pronounced Smith. Okay. Hi, guys. The first podcast I listened to was The Retroist two years ago. Then came the Atari 2600 Game by Game, which is a great podcast, by the mm-hmm. way, if you're into Atari 2600 games. And Rob O'Hara's shows. It was they who mentioned your show. And I I have to admit, since then, you stole my time. And I'm a faithful follower.
0: Oh, that's very nice. Those are all good podcasts, too. If our listeners, if you haven't listened to those three, you definitely should.
1: During the previous two months, I downloaded almost every episode, and I listen to it everywhere and whenever I can. Wow, that's a lot more than I do, and I'm (laughs) on the show. (laughs) My job makes me travel a lot, and during those lonely hours in my car, you guys make me laugh and bring back those lovely childhood memories. When I used to spend time in my local arcades, dreaming of owning a machine, other than my 2600 and the Atari 65XE with graphics capabilities. Uh, For example, Robocop from Data East. Ooh, good game. Mm-hmm. It may surprise well, data East's one good game. <laughs> it may surprise you that you have fans as far as in Poland, yes, actually it does among thirty five year old attorneys at law among all those mentioned podcasts, you guys shine why because of your magnificent sense of humor, great chemistry, and spontaneity well. I think he's listening to a different show. We hide our hate for each other well, is what he's saying. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't stand him. Once, once we stop, or once the record button gets clicked, you should hear the things we say. We actually
0: record time. this at separate times because we have refused to speak to each other. So we just kind of, Mike edits it so it makes it sound like we're having a conversation. But yeah. I haven't spoken to Mike in years.
1: Yeah. I don't really even know who Carrington is. <laughs> Thanks for the great job and entertainment you deliver. P.S. Carrington, please keep on insulting those developers.
0: Yes. Actually, Mike mostly insults the developers, <laughs> but he does that as a ploy to get them on the man, show. whatever it takes. He's a very sneaky marketer, that Mike guy. <laughs> you are wily.
1: That's a very nice email. And this email will transition us into this week's game. Dan Pelton wrote in, good episode on Popeye this week. That's my throwaway compliment before I clumsily segue into my guest for next week's game. <laughs> Speaking of next week's game... How can anyone not recognize that music? Ghosts and Goblins is very seasonally appropriate, that's for sure, but it's no Ghouls and Ghosts, which I believe is the sequel to Ghosts and Goblins. Uh, surely both classic games, brutal difficulty that makes you really feel accomplished when you make it just that much further on your next quarter. It's also one of those rare titles where you do feel like every death was your fault. No, I disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I kind of agree with that. We'll see. He goes on, not cheap quarter-sucking mechanics from the developers. Happy Halloween, guys. P.S. Every time you curse your inability to shoot up in Ghosts and Goblins, as I did playing on this main cabinet last night, know that Ghouls and Ghosts added this mechanic. I think this is his way of telling us that we should have done Ghouls and Ghosts. Well, I like to do the first in a series
0: first. We'll get to Ghouls and Ghosts eventually, I assume.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. One last question here. He asks, do they have Halloween in Canada, Carrington? Apologies if you do something weird on November 1st called Masking Day instead. <laughs>
0: I'm surprised that we don't. Well, of course, on every other day of the year, we celebrate the Queen. But on Halloween, yes, we celebrate our master Satan.
1: <laughs> so- <laughs> and yes, that does bring us to this week's game. Ghosts and Goblins. Is this the first Capcom
0: game we've done? I don't. I, I can never remember the games we've done, but yeah. I I think of Capcom as the Resident Evil people. Well, actually, no. What I think Capcom, I think Marvel versus
1: Capcom. Like, that's the first thing. I think that kind of rose to prominence. Uh, with the their fighter games in the mid-90s. Yeah. So, like, I don't think of Capcom as a company behind this sort of game. Like, we've got a side-scrolling, I guess, essentially a platforming. A platformer, yeah. This, to me, looked a lot more like uh, Metal Slug, actually. The the movement of the sprites and the way the gameplay felt more like that than what I would think of when I think of Capcom. I think
0: of Capcom as people who can't spell. What's with the one apostrophe around the N in Ghosts mm, Goblins? <laughs> that really bugs me. You get rid of two letters, you use two apostrophes. I think we should spend the next half an hour just discussing the grammar of video games. I'm good with that. And pedants like me who actually get annoyed by these. That things. might be more interesting than, than Ghosts and Goblins was. So there is um, a good promo flyer. It describes the gameplay a little bit, but I like the way it's written. So Because I think this game, there's something about this game, it's got some oddly translated stuff in the game itself too and so this will be a nice segue to that. It says the princess of a certain peaceful country is abducted by a messenger from Hades and a knight who loves the princess leaves for Hades to rescue her. However, to rescue the princess the knight must pass through six gates guarded by Satan's generals to reach Hades. Of course, there are also demons that attack the knight between the six gates. The knight has five kinds of weapons which he uses skillfully to destroy the attacking demons and advance into Hades, the knight needs your help to rescue the princess and escape from Hades, so test your skill <laughs> that is how the game is described. so there are indeed six sections well, supposedly, like every time you die, it will bring up this little map of the overall area and put a little head pointer thing to tell you where you are and According to that map there were six sections. But according to how far I got, there are two and a half sections. Because I, I never made it to the third door. What a disappointing game this
1: turned out to be. Oh, interesting. I didn't yeah. find it that disappointing. Why, why, why were you disappointed? I had endless technical problems with the game. Hmm. I think a lot of the difficulty that everyone touts about Ghosts and Goblins was actually based on poor design. I've ranted about this before, and yes, this will also be an excuse for why I didn't do well in the game, but it doesn't change the fact... <laughs> that the game design sucked, and so the game sucked. I didn't think the game design sucked. The, I, I thought it was
0: hard. I thought it was sometimes too hard, because I didn't like that the there the, are these zombie things. One of the first enemies you encounter as you're running along, and you're a little knight in, in armor. It's kind of cute character. I like when he gets hit, and he, he bounces, and is. His armor flies off, and he's in his underwear. Oh, in fact, Nils wrote in, this week's game definitely fits the season. A horrifying, unrelenting trek through the realms of the dead and the underworld in your underwear <laughs> facing Satan's armies of demons, zombies, and, of course, ghosts and goblins. Nice email, Nils. Um, anyway, I thought that the zombies, that they come out of the ground, they would frequently come out of the ground, like, right under you or right on you. And it just that seemed kind of cheaty. Like, that bugged me. i have to run back and hit them at... Yeah, what can you do? I have a list.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hit hit me with your list of problems. Where to begin? Let's see. I I ran into... There were clipping problems. You know, zombies would just, like, spawn in the middle of the sky sometimes as you're moving. Oh, I had that every once in a while. If
0: there was, like, a ground area, but then I went backwards and so sort of moved the ground, kind of. And the zombie would just keep spawning there.
1: Stuff like that. My my knight sometimes wouldn't fire, especially with the fireballs. You, you, okay, as you're running from left to right and you're picking up prizes, you can also pick up these little pots that crack open. They give you different weapons and you have like spears, throwing knives, and I think fireballs and maybe some other stuff. Sometimes he just wouldn't fire. You'd hit the fire button, he'd just stand there and get eaten by the I zombies. I found that in particular with the, f- with the torch, with the flame weapon. Uh, which is a weapon I didn't like anyway because
0: it would arc up and it would just, oh, it drove me crazy. But yeah, I too, I would find like if I wasn't moving, it sometimes wouldn't fire. Like I would just stop and I would turn and I'd try to fire behind me and it wouldn't fire until I moved my character a little. Yeah, that, that killed me a few times.
1: There were sound problems. Here's the thing. I love the music in this game. That, that, the atmospheric organ, mm-hmm. the, the gothic organ. I guess great. I love it. But as you're running through, you grab a prize and there wouldn't be a sound or. No, but are these meme problems or do you think they're like that in the arcade? I, I'm not sure. Usually the prizes that you grab are 200 points. They're the same points that you get for killing a zombie. But I think once per area or level, whatever you want to call it, there's a 10,000 point prize. And sometimes it would play a special sound when you grab that. And sometimes it would play the 200 point prize sound. Uh, A lot of little weird bugs like that. Sometimes when the prizes would pop out of it, when you break the the pot that they're in or they appear when the zombie died, they would appear sort of in the middle of a headstone and that happened to me a few times You can't I wouldn't be able it. to get the prize. You're, you're screwed yeah. it, which is especially annoying if it's one of the 10,000-point bonuses. I had the same sort of clipping problem, yeah. I, that one I'll, I'll give a you. A lot that. of stuff like that. And at the very beginning, the the opening scene, you're, you're kind of hanging out in this graveyard with your girlfriend, I, I guess because that's what you do. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and this demon, the, the Lord of Goblins, he appears and snatches the princess, that you're ultimately going to rescue. And when that happens, graveyard background disappears. And so it's just him when he gets his armor on and then he pops up and is ready to go. And then the background reappears. It sort of stuff like that just kind of pulls me out of the game and kind of makes me go, ah, this is, you know, why do they do this? I found that I would often die when I was nowhere near a zombie. You know, when it was clearly space between me and the zombie, I was dead anyway. Uh, lots of little weird bugs like that. It made me not want to keep playing the game. When when my games were over, I was kind of relieved. It was, like, annoying that you would post a higher score and I would have to go back and play this game more. (laughs) Most of the games I play, and I want to keep pumping quarters into them to to get further and find out. I I didn't care about this game, and it bothered me that the problems that I was having, I was relieved when the games were over. Um, It was especially annoying if you die, you start all the way back at the beginning. But here's another thing, I guess, is that if you die, you start with the same weapon that you had before, whether it was the spear or the fireball or whatever. But your armor's back. There's this little weird inconsistencies like that. That's I don't I don't like this game. Well, I like the fact that when you died, you got your
0: armor back. I wouldn't want that to change. Yeah,
1: this, but if you're gonna reset, hard, I need then, that armor. then reset and give me my original weapon. I hated those fireballs. Well, true. I would, when the torch would appear,
0: if that was like the weapon being offered me, I would just jump over it. I would, I got to the point where I wouldn't like the torch. My favorite was the dagger, which didn't seem to be as strong as the lance. It, well, that's another kind of weird thing. It's weird that you begin with this lance that you can throw this big thing. And it's one of the best weapons in the game. So a lot of times when I would switch to a different weapon, I'd be like, oh, I like the one I started with. (laughs) So like, you think you'd start with, say, the torch, which I hated the most, and and then try to trade up to something better. I liked the dagger because it was really fast, and you could fire two of them at once. I I liked that a lot. And I liked the shield when I got it. I don't know if you ever got the shield, which is weird because I got a shield thinking, oh, it's going to add to my armor. But the shield actually becomes your weapon. So you've got the shield you throw, and it doesn't go as far as like the dagger and the lance will go, but it also blocks other things, so it 's now a weapon you can use against other weapons. So when the bad guys like the, what, what did you call them the flying hot dogs, so when the flying hot dogs would come and throw spears at you, the shield weapon will block their spear, and then also you can kill them. So the shield weapon was really good, but I like the dagger the best because I like the speed of it. I think there's uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten weapons in total, but I only saw. I saw a sword, I got dagger, I got the axe, I got torch, uh, I got the shield, and I started with the lance. But I guess there's also something called a triblade. maybe that would be a trident, a crossbow, a discus, and a scythe. I never got any of those.
1: There were two bugs, like big ones, that got me. One is I had to actually switch ROMs and MAME because at one point, the one I was playing, it has that Ghosts and Goblins has a continue game mechanic. Yeah, but mine wouldn't work. I tried to continue, and it wouldn't let me continue. Right. I I couldn't figure out how to continue play, and one of the ROMs, it counted down to like seven and then just froze, and I haven't been able to reset that ROM, so I had to start over in a different ROM. Not that I made it any further, but just annoying stuff like that. The game is hard because it's a crap design. There, I said it. Screw you.
0: (laughs) I found there's like three different ROMs
1: floating around for this that I
0: saw. There's like an American ROM. The US ROM. And two... A U.S. ROM and two international ROMs, and it was international ROM number two was the only one for me that would work. I, the
1: other two would say I was missing CHD files or something. So, In addition to the, the world, the, the international set and the U.S. set, which both of them work fine for me, the game is actually called Maka Imura in Japan, and so there's a ROM set called Maka Imura. And I wonder if, because if you didn't have that one as well, that's why the other ones didn't work, because I think that might be the parent ROM. Ah, that might make sense. Okay, good. Good good tip for people looking to
0: grab these ROMs then. Not that you should get them if you don't already own the arcade game, but I'm assuming you all have it in your house, dear listeners. Uh, you shouldn't get this game anyway. <laughs> I think you should. I think it's hard and not one of my favorites, but I thought it was worth playing.
1: It made me laugh. You play a part of it in your underwear. Come on. That's awesome. Okay, more inconsistencies. There's <laughs> They put the humor of when you get touched by anything the first time and you're wearing your armor... It knocks your armor off and you're in your underwear. But there's no other humor in the game. Sure there is. When you die, then you do that same animation, but now you get zapped down to bones. I thought the death also looked funny. I just thought it was a graveyard-type death. That's what I'm (laughs) saying. There's, like, this funny part, but the rest of the game's not funny.
0: The thing is, I kind of thought some of it was funny. Like, I thought the characters, like, of the bad guys—not the zombies, maybe. But when you encounter the big polar bear guy— at the end of the first level, and then you get a key, take a key for coming in, like another strangely translated bit, the way it's phrased. I
1: don't know. Well, so you like the unintentional humor then, okay.
0: I like intentional humor, I like non-intentional humor, slip on a banana peel, and I'm laughing.
1: I did have a really hard time, and I guess I'm not the only one, with those little flying red demons. I only made it as far as the polar bear once, and I had the same problem with him, is that this thing knows when you're going to fire and it easily avoids your shots and makes it, makes them very difficult to kill. And so for me, it was random to even get past that first little red demon in the first area, uh, let alone much further than that. And then you get overwhelmed by the flying hot dogs and the, the little great, <laughs> great floaty things that. Yeah, the floating things that, that bounce up and down and have the shields,
0: those ones were tough because you can't hit them, at least none of the weapons I had at the time, would, would go through their shields. So you just have to avoid them and try to shoot them in their backs if you want the points afterwards. So those ones I found quite tricky.
1: And those were especially difficult because in addition to knocking your armor off when they hit you, they also could would push you off a ledge into the water and you'd die. Yes, and and later on
0: I was having the same trouble. I got past the level one usually, and I would usually die in the level two area. And I made it to level three a couple of times, but pretty rarely where I would die frequently was I would jump into water. There's these gaps you're supposed to jump over and all the time, either I would jump in correctly or something would push me into the water. And then in level three, there's this certain area that I still can't get past. So these floating platforms, and I think they're supposed to be made out of eyeballs. So I'm calling it the annoying floating <laughs> platform eyeballs of doom. And it's a weird mechanic. In fact, there's a few places where when you jump, your normal character height, when, like, when you, when you jump up, let's say that distance you can jump is X. Lots of times there's things higher than X and you jump up toward them and it'll just sort of push you the rest of the way. So you can actually jump to a platform higher than it looks like you can reach so that did mess me up quite a bit where you're going through that tree thing and i was like what is going on with like i can't reach that platform you just jump at it your body will be halfway past the platform and then the machine will just move you up the rest of the way so i had to learn to just account for that but on these platforms it's the same thing you can jump up through them and then you'll land on them so that's a fairly standard arcade mechanic that platforms are of sort of have no clipping path in the one direction but i found that while i could jump up through them and land on them, the sides would still push you. So if another platform came, well, if you were under it, you could just go through it. If it hits you from the side, it'll push you off the other platform. So that did seem a little inconsistent to me. Like it, I thought the side should also have no clipping and just let me jump on the stupid platform. So they frequently, one platform would push me off another one and then I fall to my doom. And that's the farthest point I've gotten into this game. So far, like I get to those platforms and I can't get past them, stinking eyeball platforms. They always kill me. So that's where my game ends now every time.
1: I found that my scores were all over the place in this one. Sometimes I could get to the hot dogs and I'd be (laughs) at like 40,000 and sometimes it was at 6,000. A lot of it had to do with how long you want to stick around in an area and just kill zombies and, and scoop up the prizes yeah. there is there is a timer so that does count down so but you won't was it 2 i thought it was 3 it seems
0: like ample time like i never worried about the timer
1: yeah you you got plenty of time obviously if you don't make it to the next area then your life is over supposedly on level 3 there's a cheat It says,
0: in the cave on level three, go to the upper level and move your character to the right of the rock, just to the left of the second ladder. So I thought it was in that section. But anyway, it says, move left and right, shooting rapidly. A zombie will appear and will keep appearing, and you can score 100,000 points before the time runs out. But you will also get two extra lives in the process. So I guess technically, if you can get to level three, I could have got there and then just keep getting tons and tons of extra lives and points if I had known about this tip. That's disappointing.
1: Did you know that you could turn into a duck? <laughs> See, and you say there's no humor. How do you turn into a duck? Well, I'm not sure how you turn into a duck, but once you turn into a duck, you can then turn into a frog. <laughs> oh. Because it's I'm reading that this is from the main Maybe info there's a fire. witch or something? It says, as soon as you become a duck, shoot a tombstone 15 times in a row, and an angel character will appear. This angel will fire a bolt at you, and you'll become a frog. How do you become a duck? Nothing. There must be like
0: wizards or witches or something, which would make sense for the theme of the game. But no, I never turned into a duck. I just mostly got killed by various sort of baddies and things. There's a Ghost and Goblins wiki, which I found really interesting. And what I liked about the wiki, we'll make sure we have a link in the show note. What I really liked about the wiki, it is a... Really enthusiastic wiki. (laughs) You got to be into a game to to make a wiki and to contribute to one. But whoever is behind this is really into this game. And and they write it with an excited sort of tone. Like, for instance, here's their description of the dragon. If someone invades the dragon's lair, it aggressively attacks until the enemy is pulverized. It staggers enemies with its long body and spews fire from its gigantic mouth. Now, that is somebody who's really into this game. (laughs) And the whole way through it, everything is described in that sort of tone. They describe the weapons, the enemies, the, the levels, all of it. And it's really fun to read. I think reading it also helped me enjoy the game a bit more because... The enthusiasm that this wiki has is is catchy. You know, it got me into the sort of the over top, over the top nature of the of the game. I think.
1: Ghosts and Goblins also features a false ending. So when you run oh. through uh, run through all six areas for the first time, uh, and you defeat the final boss, but only with a cross weapon. If you don't have a cross weapon, then you are told that you have to have a cross to defeat the boss, and you go back to level five and repeat five and six again. Oh,
0: that that would suck.
1: After that, then you play the whole game. Again, on a higher difficulty, and then there's a real final battle. Oh, sneaky. So I guess that's the typical, your
0: princess is in another castle sort of thing. Yes. The 80s were all about that. It seemed to be all about guys thinking they needed to rescue girls, which are girls who were probably doing totally fine on their own. She's probably kicking the demon's butt. And then we got to go rescue them, and, and you get to the end, and the princess is always in another castle, which <laughs> seems to me is just a indication that this knight doesn't know what the heck he's doing. Like, research the
1: castle first and go straight there. Come on, dude. Come <laughs> or, on. or perhaps she knew he was going to come and she requested a transfer somewhere else. <laughs> Maybe, because it's cause she's seen him in his underwear It's you know what, no. She actually was having a good time and didn't want to leave. <laughs> exactly. The game was released in September nineteen eighty five, designed by Capcom and licensed to Taito America for production in North America. It featured a an M sixty eight oh nine CPU at one point five megahertz, a Z80 at three megahertz for the sound CPU, and two YM twenty two oh three sound chips at one point five megahertz. Uh, it was a alternating two player and eight-way joystick with two buttons for fire and jump. Makimura was the uh Japanese title and it translates to Demon World Village the The main info file, at least the one that I'm looking at here, has a lot of interesting trivia about the game. For example, the red flying gargoyle enemy uh, on the first level is known as the red aer Aram- and he actually had his own game on the Nintendo Game Boy called Redo. I can't even pronounce that. Released in 1990, and two sequels. There was a lot of sequels for
0: this game. I guess this becomes a whole series. I know Ghouls and Ghosts is the second one, but I'm less familiar, and it seems like there's a whole range of games that come off this, and then there's this whole Firebrand series, I think it's called, that's a spin-off called Gargoyle's Quest, and then that started its own series of, of four or five games. So a lot of games come out of this first one.
1: Yeah, I can't say that I understand it, because it's such a piece of junk
0: i see i disagree i'm not super into this kind of game i seem to say that every week i'm not really into (laughs) platforms. i'm not really sure you know what i don't like video games and i'm off the show (laughs) But uh, i only like goonies and that's it one game like i can see the appeal here because it's got lots of variety i think it's a game uh, whoever wrote that in we read some feedback because i remember who wrote this one then whoever said it's the kind of game that makes you want to go a little farther. I guess you just weren't getting that experience because the game was so frustrating and there's so many errors. I found I would each time get a little farther and it would motivate me to think, oh, if I could just focus, I, I could do better. I'm, I'm learning. Like I would die the first time because I wouldn't realize something. And now I learned that, so I would go back. Maybe... If I was spending actual money, and this was in an arcade and I was a kid, I would just be frustrated by that. But since the quarters are costing me nothing, I actually really enjoyed the game and enjoyed the challenge of trying to get farther. And I'm going to go and try to get you know, to
1: level six. I'd like to see what the rest of this game looks like. Well, that's because you're stupid. <laughs> we talked about this with Pitfall 2 and, and a lot of these other games. That you get all the way to the end of a level... And you die, and you have to start all the way over at the beginning of that level. Again. Well, I think and it
0: was... You actually started the halfway point, I found. Like, each level, there was like a halfway mark. It's very too.
1: tedious and repetitive and just not interesting in the slightest. Now, apparently Ghouls and Ghosts fixes a lot of these problems, and so I'm actually looking forward to playing that game. But this one, no. Not at all. Okay, so we had... there
0: There was a bunch of sequels, so there's... Ghouls and Ghosts. I used to always confuse Ghosts and Goblins, Ghouls and Ghosts, like which game is which. So Ghosts and Goblins is the one we're playing, and that's first. And then
1: Ghouls and Ghosts, when does that come out? That came out in 1988. And then following that was Super Ghouls and Ghosts, and that was released in 1991 on the Nintendo. Uh, Maximo Ghosts to Glory in 2002 for the PlayStation 2. Uh, Maximo versus Army of Zen 2004 for the PlayStation 2. And Ultimate Ghosts and Goblins 2006 on the PSP. It was ported to pretty much every known console at the time. Not the Apple II, though. All of the home computers except for the Apple II. What's with the no Apple II, man? Hm. Thanks. I actually am happy that they didn't bother to <laughs> port this. I garbage. remember there was a
0: pretty decent Game Boy. I think it was Game Boy Color actually. It was a pretty decent Game Boy Color version that I liked.
1: There at one point was Ghosts and Goblins Ultimate that was on Steam's Project Greenlight, which is a oh. Uh, I guess that's sort of a crowdfunding for new games that they, that maybe mm-hmm. they, they want to find out if people are, enough people are interested, they'll develop it. And Capcom, for whatever reason, pulled that from, from Greenlight. Now, I don't know if it's because somebody else put it up there and Capcom didn't want it there or they just decided it wasn't worth it, but. Well, I know a company named, um,
0: ValorSoft actually did a version, a remix called ghouls and ghosts remix well it's billed at and t- take this for a bit of writing it's billed as this ghouls and ghosts remix is a c++ remake of the classic ghouls and ghosts with some addiction takes from ghouls and ghosts ghosts and goblins and super ghouls and ghosts so if that sentence makes any sense to you then it's a game to play it seems to be <laughs> half ghouls and ghosts half ghosts and goblins but with slightly more modern graphics so i'll have a link in the show notes mostly because on the site it took me some time to dig down and find where you actually download the stupid thing. It's the worst site ever. So since I spent all that effort to find the download page, I will put a link in the show notes. <laughs> and it's available for both Windows and Macintosh. Oh, and there's an online version. I found, a, I found a site where you can play Ghosts and Goblins. There's a pretty decent Flash version available online. So maybe that would solve the clipping errors you were getting. So I think you should go back and spend another week on it, this time with Flash.
1: Mm, no. <laughs> There was a, an Apple iPhone, iPod version released in 2009 called Ghosts and Goblins Golden Knights. So this, you can play this game anywhere you want on any platform. I think probably if you want the real experience, it's worth playing the ROM. One of the reasons that I'm disappointed, that I dislike it as much as I do and I'm kind of ripping it is when I, the first times that I, that I was playing through it, I was having a great time and it was a lot of fun and it felt like this could be a really neat game, and I kept getting bogged down with these problems and getting more and more annoyed, and um, And now I hate it. Well, I think you should check it out on an actual cabinet. Like, not through MAME, but an actual,
0: you know, original cabinet, and see if it doesn't have those problems. Like, if it got rid of all the clipping, if it got rid of all these little errors, if it got rid of, you know, the graphic sprite problems, and maybe then you wouldn't have an issue with the game, and you'd be back to liking it the way I do. Well, speaking of the cabinet, Carrington... Speak of that cabinet, Carrington! I shall! It is blue. It's a very blue cabinet, it seems. Honestly, there's nothing that fancy about it. You discussed the, the internals. The externals are not that fancy either. It's a weirdly blue cabinet with weirdly, like, lime green and red side art. The side art is that small kind of, hey, let's just stick a logo on I like full side art, and this has got the, like, sort of little mini side art. I, I don't think at the time... Even by 1985, people weren't thinking that the side art really mattered that much. But it's, it's got an almost illegible logo, I find. It's these tree limbs are spelling out the ghosts and goblins words. <laughs> and if you don't know what it already says, it would probably be hard to read it. And then just, you know, it's got some same sort of bezel art with a bit of instructions on the side. And then your typical mini little ball joystick in the middle and, and two buttons on either side because you can play it left or right-handed. So you just got your fire and your jump buttons. The Exeity Price Guide says you can get this for four or five hundred dollars new, and I say the Exity price guide is out of date because this this sells for a lot more i couldn 't find any of them less than six seven hundred dollars so if they 're in decent shape, so it seems like a relatively expensive cabinet because it 's usually up from there, um, so other people seem to like it and it seems to be collectible
1: well, as you said, this is a popular game, and for whatever reason people really liked it, so it doesn 't surprise me that it 's going for a lot of money. Alpha Records released a limited edition soundtrack, uh, Capcom game music, uh, in 1986. So if you're interested in hearing more of that, that awesome organ music, track it down. I actually really enjoyed the music, and the sound effects were great uh, when they worked. And it's colorful. Like, I think it's a good-looking game. I know it's 85, so it's later than a lot of games we've been looking at recently. So
0: I think maybe I'm in a really old-school game mentality. So when I see something with this many colors and the graphics, (laughs) like this detail, I'm like, oh, my goodness, look at this. It's so realistic. (laughs) So that might be just a feature of the games I've been playing recently. But I thought it was – I thought the sprites are good-looking, and I thought there's a lot of good variety in the in the type of enemy that you face, so just from forgetting the gameplay, if we just look at like the the look of the background, the sound of the music, the characters, of the sprites, and the uh, the, the good guys that you play and the bad guy, I I,
1: I liked them all. Like I, I thought it was a good looking game. Absolutely, I thought it was a great looking game. I kept finding myself thinking, "Hey, this is just this looks just like Metal Slug if Metal Slug were fantasy instead of a a, a Vietnam shooter." To me, it seemed like a Nintendo game. Like
0: to me, this looked just like something that Mario should be in, and this is a Super Mario World sort of game. It felt very Super Mario World to me, especially when I got the the torch and I'm firing the... It fires on like an arc of a ball. And I kept thinking,
1: well, if that kept bouncing, then this is right out of Super Mario World. Sula Puter, I think I pronounced that properly, released a limited edition soundtrack for the game in 2005, containing music from the original arcade and the Sega Mega Drive and Genesis series. Bandai released a board game. It was released in Japan only in 1989. Ooh, I want to see that. I love the board games.
0: I really want board game versions. We should have a whole spinoff podcast just about the board games, just because you'd have to go out and buy them and then I could play them.
1: Oh, okay. So you're fine <laughs> with it as long as you don't have to spend the money to track. These as things. long as
0: you have to spend the money, I'm totally okay with it. And it's an awesome plan. What a surprise! Are we going to talk score now? Because I think I won. Yeah, well, you did because I don't care. I, like you, my scores were all over the place. But unlike you, I never would get forty thousand halfway through the first level. Like so, you were scoring way better than me. I was mostly on a see how far I could get. I would I would skip things. I was I was just going on speed runs. It was for me. It was all about. Can I get further than I did before?
1: I think that may have been the correct gameplay method. I think maybe I would have done better. I like to, to hang out in an area and, and just kind of blast away for a while and rack up the points. points. Uh, obviously, it's it's not a you have X amount of zombies in this area. When you clear it, it's empty. They just, they're going to keep respawning. But I would run the timer down until I had like 10 seconds left and then move on to the next area to reset that. And I think that's what kind of drove that score. But it also meant that I was overwhelmed by flying hot dogs because they would. <laughs> well, I mean, they quickly built up on you, you know. And and they yes. did. The, they did that. Hot little, dogs do that. They would fly past and do that little turn move and try to hit you from behind. Mm-hmm. And you've got the the Venus flytrap things that were shooting stuff at you, and and that may have been why I wasn't as successful at this game. Anyway, go ahead, sir. So uh, best score I got is actually the score that was on my last Twitter
0: screenshot posting, but it wasn't in that game. I was posting to show the eyeball platforms of doom that were annoying me so much, (laughs) but the score I had at that time was a little lower. But if you looked in that screenshot, the current high score set was from a few games earlier and was the best that I ever did. And it's 67, sorry, 76,000 even. So it's a remarkably round number. So I got 76,000 on the nose. What about you, Mike? How'd you do?
1: As I said, I only made it to the polar bear once, um, <laughs> the guardian to the city, I guess. And what, it's kind of funny, when I got to him, I had like 8,000 points. I usually would die in the forest with the hot dogs, and the best I did was 47,400 points. Well, then I win. I am the champion of the world. Interestingly, Matt Gardner holds the official record for this game. Uh, this was set on September 12, 2010, and his score is only 875,300 points.
0: I was so close! Oh, if my continue button would work,
1: that would be a thing. I would actually
0: probably do that here is probably, I don't know if you continue. The problem with Mame is we've talked about this on an earlier show. I guess there's a way to enable like cheats in Mame too. But if you did the continue thing and you just, a game that's just going to suck down quarters, you don't care. I'm just going to continue, continue, continue. I guess you could just easily get to the end of this game if you had unlimited free plays on
1: quarters. But I think that would take all the fun out of it. Well, probably. I I usually, when I do that, it's just so that I can see what's further so so that we can talk about it on the show. So it was kind of disappointing that, for whatever reason, the continue mechanic didn't work in these memories. I tried
0: to use it as well because I wanted to continue because I wanted to just beat that platform area, so that I could continue from there, I could just work on that till I got good at that section then i 'd go back from the beginning. But, like I said, my continue I was using the international ROM number two version, and it wouldn 't let me continue
1: uh, that 's what the one I started on, and I switched to the u s ROm when when the international one froze up, and the same problem it you can 't at least I was not able to continue, and right. obviously you weren 't either. Like I said, very disappointing experience for me. I, I was hoping that it would be better than it was because I don't mind difficult games. I mean, I'll come on here and complain uh, about them, but I just kind of, this was sort of a letdown, and maybe that's why I'm being harder on it than other games.
0: So I take it that this would not make it into the Mike McGinnis Memorial Arcade. You would not put it in your own arcade. I'd turn it into a big ashtray,
1: okay. <laughs> and I don't even smoke. <laughs>
0: Got it. Okay. I would not. I would also not, especially I wouldn't drop the 800 or $900 it would take to pick up one of these. No way. But I would absolutely play this. If I'm at an arcade and it has this, this is now going to be, especially now that I've gotten a little better at it than I think I was when I played it as a kid. I never got past the first level as a kid. Now that I get a little farther, I wouldn't be as embarrassed to play it in arcade if people were watching. (laughs) So I think I would actually play this. So next time I'm in an actual arcade, I am going to take a shot at this game.
1: Ghost of Goblins was designed by Tokuro Fujiwara, programmed by Toshiro Arima, and the music and sound effects were by, done by Ayako uh, Mori. I'm sure I pronounced all of those names wrong. Yes, you did. So here's something interesting. All the, all the stuff that I could find on this game kept telling me that the knight's name was Arthur. Right, okay. If you look at the artwork that goes around the screen, he's identified as Sir Michael. Oh, so that's weird. So I wonder why. I didn't
0: even know that he was called Sir Anything. Maybe it's just because when you look at it, it says Sir Michael. When I look, it'll say Sir Carrington. In fact, from now on, Mike, I would like you to refer to me as Sir Carrington.
1: All right. Sir Carrington of Carrington. I will call you that from now on, Sir Carrington. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you, Sir Mike. I don't know. Do you have anything else to say about Ghosts and Goblins? I do
0: not. I would like to play it in arcade, but I wouldn't like to own it. So that's where I come down. But I give it a thumbs up. I'm much more positive about it overall than you are. I actually enjoy playing it, even though I admit it's hard and the main ROMs are buggy.
1: All right. Well, let's move on to next week's game then.
0: Let's do it. What could it possibly sound like? Sounds like this.
1: Well, I look forward to playing that. I'm sure you do, Carrington. And you won't beat me this week, I promise. And it's Sir Carrington. Oh, that's right.
0: You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent to Quarter at monsterfeet.com. And like all Monsterfeet podcasts, the original material in this show has been released to the public domain.